Last Sunday, we entered into the season of Advent, uh, which is, a, I think, a pretty peculiar season in the church calendar. It's a little bit weird, I think, because Advent is, at the same time, a backward-looking season, and it is a forward-looking season. It leads us up to the celebration of Jesus' first coming in time and history, and it calls us to look forward to Jesus' second coming in time and history. And so as we look towards Jesus or we remember together Jesus' first coming, we prepare to celebrate Christmas. And as we look forward together to Jesus' second coming in history, we prepare because the King is coming. He's coming again. Amen. Yeah. And so the the scriptures that we read in our worship services during this season uh, call us to prepare because, as we heard from Isaiah this morning, the king is coming. And they call us to prepare because, as we heard last week from Jesus' own mouth, he is coming again. Advent is a season of preparation. And this morning, uh, as we turn to hear from John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1, we hear very particularly, very practical uh, exhortation about how to prepare. What does preparation for the coming of the king look like? Well, in John the Baptist's words, uh, it is repentance. Now, something inside of me uh, shrivels a little bit every time I hear the word repentance. I don't know about any one of you, but uh, certainly when when I think about or hear about repentance... uh, it's hard. It's hard to hear that we need to repent. It's it's hard to actually do the work of repentance. It's, It's difficult because it challenges us on some very fundamental layers of who we are. The very concept of repentance means, before anything else, that we are not in control of our lives and that someone else is in charge. That makes it difficult to hear. Repentance is is difficult to hear because, quite frankly, it means that not only are we not in charge of our lives, but it also means that whatever it is we're doing as we're not in charge of our lives, we're doing really poorly. We're doing the wrong things. And quite frankly, we have to turn and we have to change. And so repentance can really be difficult. but, But folks, repentance is the only way, the best way, the real way to prepare for the coming of the king. That's what John the Baptist calls us to. That's what John the Baptist called his original audience to. And that's what John the Baptist will continue to call all who hear his words towards repentance. Now this morning, as we, as we talk about John the Baptist, we talk about this difficult thing that is repentance, uh, I, I would like for you to hear this. Repentance is motivated by being loved by God and by loving God. Repentance is a grace of God that is centered on Jesus Christ, and repentance is connected to the Holy Spirit. And while it may not be fun, and while it is most assuredly not easy, it is absolutely necessary. So let's think about John the Baptist together as we hear uh, from Mark chapter 1. I'm going to start reading at verse 4. If you have your Bibles open uh, to John, Mark chapter 1, we'll look at verse 4 first. And as we look together at Mark chapter 1, uh, stick a thumb or a finger in Isaiah 
chapter 40, because we will look there a little bit this morning. St. Mark, uh, known for uh, his brevity, uh, simply declares, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. After centuries of prophetic silence, John the Baptist appears in the wilderness. He is dressed like Elijah the prophet from 2 Kings chapter 1. He walks out of the wilderness, a locale long associated with prophets and with people meeting with God, and he comes with a shattering proclamation, the king is coming, so prepare the way. John was sent by God as fulfillment of prophecy, and and he was sent to do a single job, to prepare the way for the Messiah by preparing a people for the Messiah. In Old Testament passages, such as the one we heard from Isaiah chapter 40, God promised His people Israel that He would manifest His glory and that He would change the world. God proclaimed in a number of places in the Old Testament that He would come to His people and that He would be their king. In fact, using powerful imagery in Isaiah 40, we read this beginning at verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. You talk about uh, awesome and amazing promise of God that he would come among his people and be their king. In intentionally using this, these affectionate words, these words that ooze not only caregiving and watching over, but words that ooze the thought of love. God will comfort his people as Isaiah 40 begins by being their shepherd, carrying them in his bosom. That is kindness and that is mercy of God. And in his kindness and in his mercy, God also declares that he would send a forerunner to prepare the way before his coming. This forerunner was to make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall be level and the rough places a plain. This is language from Isaiah 40, verse 3, of language of repentance. Using a metaphor of the rocky, mountainous, and valley-filled land of Judea around Jerusalem, he is making the point, God is, through Isaiah, that those mountains, those people who are proud, need to be humbled, and those valleys, those people who are uh, too humbled or overly humiliated, need to be raised up. Both of those are done through repentance. And this is what John does. John comes, he prepares the way before the coming of Jesus by preparing a people for Jesus by calling them to repent. St. Matthew and St. Luke, they uh, very succinctly record uh, John's preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Simply put, John calls people to repent because the kingdom is coming. The king is coming. And the only way to prepare for the king is to repent. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about what repentance is and what it looks like in just a few minutes. But, but for now, I think we need to notice how important uh, repentance is because of the magnificence of the person who is coming. The higher the individual, the greater the glory of the one to come, the more necessary, more significant, more important uh, repentance is. And so it isn't just some uh, very important person who's going to be coming into the world uh, and that they're called to repent. Uh, it, it isn't just some earthly king that is coming into the world and so they must repent. No, it, far more than that. In Isaiah 40, verse 5, we read, The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That is the one for whom John was to prepare the way. And so in preparing the way, John is preparing the way for the glory of the Lord who will be revealed. The manifestation, the incarnation of God's glory is Jesus. Is any wonder then that John the Baptist proclaims, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Because the one to come is the king who is the manifestation of God's glory, repentance is absolutely necessary. John calls his audience then and now to prepare for the coming king in repentance. And notice that we are called to prepare not for a new religious system. We're called to prepare not for a new ritual. We are called to prepare for the coming of a person, the incarnation of the eternal Son of God, the manifestation of the glory of God, the shepherd king, Jesus. And what is the proper way to prepare for such a magnificent person with such a magnificent gift to give as the Holy Spirit? Repentance. But what is repentance? There may be some confusion about what it is and how to do it. Now, fundamentally, repentance doesn't mean you're sorry. That's part of it. Fundamentally, repentance means change. It means a change of direction. It means a change of orientation. It means to face south and then to turn about so that you're facing north with your back to the south. And I'm fully aware that when I, pointed, uh, when I said south, I pointed north, and when I said uh, north, I pointed south. I'm fully aware of that. I appreciate the irony, as does Mitch. Maybe an illustration can help. I, I, I took this from missionary pastor and theologian Leslie Newbigin who spent most of his ministry in India. And he tells a story that illustrates repentance. He, he wrote, I remember once visiting a village in the Madras Diocese. There was no road to the village. You reached it by crossing a river, and you could do this either on the south side of the village or on the north. The congregation had decided that I would come by the southern route, and they had prepared a welcome such as only an Indian village can prepare. There was music and fireworks and garlands and fruit. And you know how this story is going to go. Newbegin says, unfortunately, I entered the village at the north end and found only a few goats and chickens. He goes on to say this, I had to disappear while word was sent to the assembled congregation and the entire village did a sort of U-turn 
so as to face the other way. Then I duly reappeared. So Newbigin goes on to comment that this is a great illustration of repentance as he explains. The point is, the reign of God has drawn near, but you can't see it because you're looking the wrong way. You're expecting the wrong thing. You have to go through a mental revolution, otherwise the reign of God will be totally hidden from you. There in his uh, historical context, John's Advent voice, his call was to his audience to give up their messianic expectations, to give up what they thought they could earn through the law. In fact, to recognize that they too, uh, even law-abiding, God-fearing, temple-practicing uh, Jewish folks had to repent to turn away from those things in preparation for the king who is to come. And so John's Advent voice, his call to his audience then and his audience now, that's us, is to repent, to turn away from what we are doing and get ready for the king by turning toward God. It's incredibly practical, in fact. In, in St. Luke's Gospel account, John is asked by tax collectors and by soldiers, what are we to do? And his answer was essentially, stop. Stop doing what you're doing now and do something differently. Stop exhorting people and instead just charge them the, the, the fair rate. In repentance, we turn away from the things that distract us from God, the things that pull our vision in the wrong direction, our wrong expectations, the demands that we have it our way. We turn away from the things that keep God's reign hidden from us, and it never ends. Repentance never ends. It's a lifelong process for a believer in Jesus Christ as it is the process through which we are realigned with Jesus' kingly reign. It is the process through which we are submitted to his will, the process through which we prepare for his coming. So we're called to prepare for the coming King Jesus through repentance. But true repentance, true turning away from the stuff that distracts us from God and turning towards God, is motivated by the love of God. Repentance is not motivated by an attempt to escape the consequences. True repentance is motivated by the love of God, receiving it from Him, and in return, giving it back to Him. Have you ever noticed uh, how often we feel sorry, not so much for the acts that we've committed, but we feel sorry for the consequences that we are about to reap? You ever notice that? Maybe I'm the only one that's ever felt like that. I certainly don't want to tell too many tales out of school, so I won't tell a story about myself. But when I taught high school, I had several students that, you know, high school kids being high school kids, which means they're lug nuts and you have to deal with behavior. Uh, I've had so many students that I know and love who got in trouble and were sorry because they got caught and knew the consequences were coming. They weren't sorry because of the behavior, Right? This is different than true repentance. True repentance is sorry for the consequences, but true repentance is sorry for the behavior itself because the offense it causes to the one that is loved and the one that loves. Have you ever noticed how much in our human relationships we want to please those who love us? If we are truly and well loved by another individual, 
we love that individual in return, and we typically want to please them even to the point of changing harmful or unhelpful behaviors. And so it is with repentance. True repentance is motivated by being loved by God in Jesus Christ. In receiving God's love, in knowing His grace and kindness, we turn away from sin, from ourselves, and we turn towards God. We recognize that in Isaiah chapter 40, God says, comfort, comfort my people. Why is there comfort? Because He is coming to manifest His glory to be the shepherd king who will love His people. And if you can't respond to that God and that love with loving repentance in return, then you have a hard heart. I'm sorry, you do. Repentance begins with knowing who you are, loved by God, and loving Him in return. Writing in 1668, Puritan pastor Thomas Watson stated, a true penitent turns away from sin out of a religious principle, namely, love of God. Having been loved by God and then loving God in return, followers of God repent. True repentance is motivated by God's love and by loving God because He first loves us. True repentance is also a grace of God, an unmerited gift. Think about this. Uh, how often, it's a little bit unpleasant to think about this, I'm, I'm a pretty good scumbag. I haven't done anything to earn God's favor, and neither have any of you. And so the call to repent is God giving us unmerited favor to say, turn from that and turn towards me. Turn from that and align yourself with me. Turn from your sin, your sinful behavior. Turn from your autonomous lifestyle. Turn from your, your so-called uh, independence. And turn towards the one who made you, who set the standard before you, who loves you. That is unmerited favor. And what a wonderful truth it is that King Jesus, the one who came and the one who is coming, is a welcoming king. He's an inviting king. He is an enabling king. He is the king of the world who has every right and privilege to squash us, to erase us, to start over, and yet he doesn't. That is, the simple fact that he doesn't is grace. And the simple fact that he wants us to be rightly aligned with him is grace. As difficult as it may be, and so often is, to hear the call to repentance it is a call that comes from a God who loves us, and it is a call that is loving and graceful. Let I me mean, think again about these words from St. From Peter. The word Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." And so repentance is not about God being a cranky grandfather-esque character who doesn't want you to have fun. Repentance is about God not wanting you to die outside the kingdom of Jesus. And that is grace. God may hate the sin, and He does. He may hate our attempts to live autonomous lives free from Him, and He does. But He does love the sinner even the rugged individualist, and he desires the salvation of that person in repentance. And that is grace. True repentance is motivated by the love of God. It is a grace of God. And true repentance is Jesus Christ-centered. Repentance is responding to the love, of, love and grace of God 
in turning away from our sins and turning away from ourselves and turning toward Jesus. The reason why John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near is because the king was near, Jesus. The manifestation of God's glory from um, Isaiah 40 verse 5 is in Jesus, the individual, the person. And so as we repent, we return away from ourselves and our sins and we turn towards Jesus. All that Jesus is, his life, his death, and his resurrection. You see, folks, we uh, have an incredible ability to overestimate how good we really are. Uh, Comedian Bill Murray uh, said this, we're not who we think we are. We're not as wonderful as we think we are. And so we need Jesus again and again in repentance. Theologian John Murray said this, It is at the cross of Christ that repentance has its beginning. It is at the cross of Christ that it must continue to pour out its heart in the tears of confession and contrition. It's Jesus-centered as we turn away from ourselves and our sin. We turn towards Jesus, and Jesus does his work in us. Repentance, true repentance, is motivated by the love of God, is a grace of God, is centered upon Jesus and is connected to the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. Who is it that convicts us of sin? It's the Holy Spirit. Who is it that gently nudges some of us when we're wrong? It's the Holy Spirit. And who is it that uh, hits us with a spiritual two-by-four, the rest of us, uh, when it's absolutely necessary? It's the Holy Spirit. Who uses the voices of Scripture and the wise counselors to show us ourselves? It's the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit's presence, abiding presence in the life of a believer, is uh, partly so that repentance is ongoing. And folks, if we ever think that we don't need to repent, then that's a strong indicator that repentance is exactly what we need. So John the Baptist's Advent voice calls us to prepare for the King through repentance, motivated by being loved by God and loving God, It is a grace of God centered upon Christ and connected to the Holy Spirit. It isn't fun, it isn't easy, and it is all too often avoided, which is exactly why we need to hear and the world needs to hear John the Baptist's Advent voice. Stop hiding. It's time to prepare. The King is coming. Recognizing that we need to repent from anything that keeps us and keeps our eyes off of Jesus, I want to suggest to you not an exhaustive list, but some points for us to consider, both as individuals and as a group of people together. We need to repent of our sins. There are things which we do and things which we do not do that lead our eyes away from God, that lead our eyes away from Jesus, and so we need to repent of them. We need to repent of our idols, which dethrone Jesus in the centers of our beings. Even good things, such as family and work and holidays, can become idols which kill us. We need to repent from our personal preferences if they keep us from Jesus. We need to repent from consumerism and the demand that we have it our own way, as if the whole world and the church is some sort of hamburger place. That's Burger King, by the way, and they dropped it. We need to repent of worldliness and a preoccupation with the cares of this world, which keep our eyes from Jesus and can choke out our faith. 
We need to repent of indifference, of inaction, and of apathy. Because all of these things can cloud our vision from the King who is coming. All of these things distract us away from Jesus. And so is the Holy Spirit prompting you? Is the Holy Spirit prompting us? We are called to prepare. We are called to prepare by repenting, by turning away from something and turning towards the King. To prepare for the King is coming. John the Baptist's Advent voice calls us to prepare for the King through repentance. It is motivated by being loved by God and loving God. It is a grace of God centered upon Christ, and it is a work of the Holy Spirit within us. I've said these things to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.